I want to encourage you this morning to honestly ask yourself, what does it mean to have Jesus Christ? What does it mean to be saved? How do you experience the goodness of God, the greatness of his glory? How can imperfect man have relationship with God? Well, this morning we're going to start a brief kind of three-part series on being all of Christ in all of life for all the world. And in 2017, when Foothills Community Church and Calvary Community Church merged together to form Redemption Hill Church, as elders, one of the things we talked about was the need that over time, there was going to be a need to rework our mission as a new church, as Redemption Hill Church. And our mission, um, which is the way that we fulfill our vision, can change over time based upon the needs of Christ's church. And so for the past month and a half, uh, as elders, we've been praying and thinking through the reworking of our mission. And we want to ask you to be praying with us as we continue to work through this process together. And so we ask that you would be praying just for, for wisdom, for God's clarity as we work through and consider the mission here at Redemption Hill Church. And we'll be sharing a little more with you in coming weeks as to what God's been putting on our hearts and how we believe that God is leading us. But Unlike the mission, which can change based upon need, our vision of making disciples never changes. And although the vision statement may change to help bring clarity, the vision itself will not change because Christ commanded us in Matthew 28, 19 and 20 to go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Now, for a lot of us, the Great Commission is something that we've heard. We may have known, we may have heard somebody else share. But the truth is, is that the latter part of that Great Commission is actually the part that is the key to the fulfillment of that Great Commission. He says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. See, the last part requires us to have complete dependence upon Christ. And so without this dependence, it's impossible to grow in Him, and it truly is actually impossible to be His disciples. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at John 15, verses 1 through 17, a story that some of you have heard about Jesus saying that He is the vine and we are His branches. And I want to encourage you to listen, to respond to the Lord just with an open heart, to hear what God's Word is and what He is saying, so that we might be those who are genuine disciples before Him. So let's go ahead and stand together. We're going to read from John chapter 15, verses 1 through 17. We'll be reading from the ESV. And if you don't have a copy of a Bible, you don't have a Bible, feel free. There are Bibles in the back. You can take one. Um, We'll have it up on the screens here for you to read along as well. But if you don't own a Bible, just take one of the back. It's in the back. It's there for that purpose, that you can take it, take it home. It's yours, okay? Um, So let's go ahead and read that together, starting in John chapter 15, verse 1. And this is what it says. 
It says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Let's pray. God, as we look at your word this morning, may you speak to our hearts. May your word be an encouragement, and may it be a mirror. May we ask ourselves if we are within and living inside you, where you are working inside of us. Lord God, may we not get bogged down with religion, but God, may we be focused and desiring relationship with you. Father, may we see, God, the extent of our sin and unworthiness this morning, but may we also see the dependence that we have in you. May we see the need that we have to rest in you, to trust in you, to find our strength in you. And Father, may we walk in confidence in your joy as we surrender ourselves to you. So Lord, may you take your word this morning, may you implant it on our heart. May you Father, move powerfully amongst us, and we ask this in your name, amen. Simply put, this morning, being a disciple of Christ demands us to abide in Christ. Being a disciple of Christ or a follower of Christ demands that we abide in Christ, 
Now notice how he begins. He says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch that is in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Now the phrase every branch in me is key. Jesus is clearly addressing those who have professed him as Savior and Lord of their lives. That's who he's addressing here. He's addressing those who have said, listen, yes, I'm a follower of Christ. I'm someone who have professed that Jesus is Lord. And so he uses this imagery that the disciples will understand, this imagery of a vineyard. We live in an area and a community that can understand vineyards. I remember when I preached out of John 15 12 years ago, which was the passage that I actually preached from to candidate when I came here to Foothills. I remember going and actually needing greater understanding of the vineyard process because there were things that I just didn't understand. And it was helpful to go and actually talk to one of the vineyard managers at a local winery to say, hey, help me understand what happens here. Help me understand how the vine and the branches work. And the truth is, is that in Israel, they would have understood this. The disciples understood that God had referred to the nation of Israel as a vineyard. One that was to display his glory to the nations. He also used the vineyard to to display the goodness between a husband's and wife's physical relationship. The vineyard was to be a place that was displaying glory, God's goodness. And yet, unfortunately, through the context of Israel, God often spoke of the vineyard negatively in the Old Testament because of Israel's disobedience. Because they had turned away from God. And this is how he spoke of them. In Isaiah 5, verses 1 through 7, he says this about Israel. And it's not flattering. It's not the same way that he's going to speak to the disciples. But this is what he says. He says this about Israel. He says, let me sing for my beloved my song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do with my, to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed, and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are as pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed for righteousness, but behold, an outcry. The very purpose that God had given Israel to be a nation that was going to display his glory and goodness to the other nations did not occur because of their disobedience. The disciples understood this. 
the disciples now here are being used as this imagery, and they're coming together where they're being called the branches. God was no longer using a nation to bring his glory or to reveal his glory to a people, but he was using his people, his church, to reveal his glory. See, the beauty that resides in this is that God has allowed us to be the bearers of his glory for those that have repented and believed on Christ. Isaiah 10.1 says Israel is a luxuriant or a degenerate vine. And so God could not make them a choice vineyard or bless them with his fruit because they were continuing in their disobedience. And the disciples understood that Christ had chosen them and was calling them to bear fruit so that they might experience his blessing and reveal his glory. See, in fact, to bear more fruit, Jesus tells us that we're going to be pruned. He actually shows us a picture of this vine in verse 2, and he says, listen, I'm going to prune you so that you might bear more fruit. This kind of flies in the face of a culture which says that, ah, everything is comfortable and everything is good, and if it's, if it's not comfortable, it must be bad. The truth is what God says is that the pruning in our life, the things that are difficult when we're walking with him, are good for us. When we live in a culture that so idolizes comfort, there's a pill for everything, is there not? I mean, they have kind of uh, pain medications on top of pain medications. I remember a few years ago when, when coming out of surgery and the number of pain meds that they could give, it was delightful. My body never felt so warm ever. I have no idea what it was, but Elisa could tell you, because she called for it often when I got grumpy. Right? <laughs> Comfort, right? Comfort's the name of the game. And what Jesus says right here is this. He says, listen, in order for there to bear more fruit, you're going to have to be uncomfortable. I'm going to prune you. I'm going to cut you back. See, the way that a vine works, right, is you have to prune that vine. If you don't prune that vine, what you get is you get a big old heavy cluster that sucks off all of the nutrients from other portions of that vine. But when it's pruned, it's able to continue to get good nutrients. When we're pruned, we learn to rely more on Christ. When we walk through trials, we learn to rely more on Christ. Now God does say that there are trials that come as a result of sin. But he says, for the follower of Christ, there are trials that come so that we might grow in dependence upon him. And not every trial has come to say, guess what? You're not doing it right. Sometimes it's precisely because we are walking with Christ that we are pruned back so that we might grow more. 
Now notice in verse 3 what he says here. He says something unique. He actually tells the disciples, he says, Already, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Now you can imagine for the minute the disciples are wondering, uh, have I missed something here? In Matthew 8, 2, the leper goes to Jesus. And when he goes to Jesus, he comes to him in faith. And it says, when he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. You see, he was cleaned because of his faith. In Mark 1, we're told to repent and believe, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Salvation is not based upon what we do. There's no way for us to become clean. We cannot become clean in the face of a holy and righteous God. It can't happen. There's no ritual that will do it to us. There's no shower clean enough except the blood of Christ. And Jesus says that we would repent and believe on him for our salvation. It's through faith alone, by God's grace. And so he tells, he reminds the disciples, listen, you're already clean in me. Now abide in me. He says, abide in me and I in you. Now, what we're actually going to see here is a picture that God is saying is, listen, if Christ is living in you, you will be drawn to abide in him. And as you abide in him, you will bear fruit. Now, this word abide is a word, I think, that often gets spoken of. It's one that we speak of a lot in Christian circles, but it's one that's kind of ambiguous, If you ask somebody what it means to abide, there's about 20 things that run through their mind and usually they're kind of unsure about it. And that word abide is often the thing that we're instructed to do and yet we often don't even know how to do it. And part of it is we don't know how to do it because it demands dependence upon Christ And the only way that we can depend on Christ is by Christ living in us and working in us. And so he says, abide in me and I in you. Well, the word or the meaning of abide here in Greek, the word actually is meno. And it sounds as small as it is. It simply means to remain or to dwell or to stay. To remain in, to dwell in, or to stay in. 
Abiding really means that there's an active, unbroken connection between the believer and Christ that is necessary to be productive. It's unbroken. Christ has moved towards us, and we are moving towards him. Sometimes when we talk about that Christ does the work, I think we forget that in Christ doing the work, we're still commanded to draw near to God. God's saying, draw near to me. He's calling us to draw near to him. D.A. Carson puts it this way, the point is clear, continuous dependence on the vine, constant reliance upon him, persistent spiritual imbibing. Imbibing just means to drink, to take in. And essential action, condition, or ingredient of spiritual fruitfulness. See, persistent spiritual imbibing to drink and absorb of his life This is the indispensable and essential action, condition, or ingredient of spiritual fruitfulness. We're in Christ. Truth is, I think in Christian culture, we've adopted kind of a checklist of things, haven't we? If I just spend this time in God's word... I'm just faithful at church on a Sunday. It's easy to begin very quickly assuming that we are walking and abiding in Christ when in reality, he's only a compartment or segment of our life. Does Christ actually infiltrate every part of your life? Does he infiltrate you on everything? Do you depend on him for everything? Even the things you know you're already self-sufficient in. Do you seek him? Well, there's two results here that he points out. The first is the result of not abiding in Christ. And he says, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in the vine. We can't bear fruit unless we are abiding in the vine. It can't happen. And this is what he says then. He says, if anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. Listen. Our lives are to bear fruit of Jesus. Our lives are to bear fruit of the truth of Christ. And if we're not bearing fruit, he's saying, guess what? You need to find out. You need to find out whether or not you've actually repented and believed on Christ. Because if you repent and believe on Christ, you will bear fruit. There will be a draw to Christ so that you might abide in him. Now, it doesn't mean there aren't going to be seasons where you fall away for a season or times that are flatter than others and times where there's a little bit of fruit growing and other times where there's abundance of fruit growing. 
It does say, though, that if you have not seen fruit in your life as a result of confessing Christ as Lord of your life, he's saying, listen, you probably don't know me, and I will say that even though you profess a faith in Christ, the lack of fruit is testimony that you do not know me. We cannot live in a continuous state where fruit is not being born and have the assurity of the salvation that Christ has promised. A branch that is not producing fruit is cut away, is thrown away, and is burned. And that speaks of God's judgment. It speaks of an eternity apart from Christ in hell. The opposite, though, the good news is that for those who repented on Christ and believed on Christ, guess what's happening? You're being drawn towards Jesus. And you're bearing fruit in verse 2, and you're bearing more fruit in verse 2. And then you come to verse 5, and it says you bear much fruit. See, when we abide in Christ, we bear fruit Warren Wiersbe adds, the branch cannot produce its own life. It must draw that life from the vine. It is our communion with Christ through the Spirit that makes possible the bearing of fruit. And here's the reason that we bear fruit. We bear fruit because it glorifies the Father. It glorifies God. Verse 8 tells us this. It says, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. What an awesome thing. What he's saying here is that when you go forward, when you bear fruit, you are actually glorifying God. For those of us that often want to look at performance and ask and wonder if our performance is the thing that, that pleases God. What pleases God is the bearing of fruit, the transformed life, the life that is becoming more like Him. The past doesn't matter. Why is it important we understand this? Because if we don't get the importance of abiding in Christ, we won't abide in him. Abiding in Christ will simply be a duty, something that we put on the checklist, and unfortunately, we're missing what God has intended for us, which is a life in complete dependence upon him. So how do we abide in Christ? How do we actually do that then? This word that's spoken of. Well, in this passage, it actually lists off a number of different fruits that arise when we abide in Christ. But I want us to look this morning specifically at how we do that. Because if we don't abide in Christ, we will never bear the fruit in any other area of our life. And we will never bear the fruit in bringing the gospel of Christ to other people. It won't happen. Abiding in Christ is at the very foundation of our walk with God. So how do we do it? 
Well, verse 7 says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. How do we abide in Christ? Well, first, we faithfully read and meditate on his word. We faithfully read and meditate on his word. Notice what he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. In your bulletin this morning, there's a little quote. And that little quote says, listen, when we're not ready to abide, we start by seeking God. We start by abiding in him first. We start praying that God would give us a love for his word. We start praying that God would prepare us for his word. Isn't it amazing that when you go to read the word, anything else can become a distraction? I mean, that magazine that's on house decorations all of a sudden looks really attractive. Why? Because the truth is working against sin. We have an enemy that loves to disrupt the truth. That faithful reading of God's word is a part of us being dependent upon the vine. It first starts with our dependence on the vine. It first says, God, there's no way I'm gonna do this faithfully apart from you. A lot of times we jump into that and we go, oh, I just need to start reading. And that's a good place to start, but you'll find that if all of a sudden you just jump in to start reading, most likely it'll wane. My prayer has to be, God, give me a passion and a love for your word. And then that reading of God's word isn't just, let me get through one, two, and three. But it is this. It's the ability to to slow down and to say, you know what? Part of this abiding in his word means that, yes, I'm reading it faithfully. The other part of it means that I'm actually taking time to meditate on it. Now, I'm not talking about transcendental meditation here where you're sitting on a floor with your feet crossed, like a yoga class. What I'm talking about is that you take time to actually let the words of a passage center into the focus of your mind, meaning this. And when I'm saying that, I'm not saying that in New Age language. I'm saying this. It becomes central to the thought where I am actually go and I say, listen, I need to set aside some time that I'm not distracted here and I want the word of God implanted on my heart. It needs to be a central priority. When we look at scripture, there are very few times that we are told to study it, but we are repeatedly told to meditate on it. In the Old Testament, the way that they learned scripture was to sing scripture. Is it any wonder that in that process that the importance about even it's wonderful to have the written word of God? We want that. We have that because technology is advanced. We can have that. But I wonder sometimes, have we lost the art of memorizing scripture and of singing scripture so that it's implanted on our hearts? I can tell you the newest Metallica song. I can't anymore, but I used to be able to. <laughs> but can I look at Scripture and repeat it the same way? 
I'm afraid that, unfortunately, we're abiding in much of the world rather than in Christ. The things that have ownership of our heart are competing for Christ and competing with Christ. And it doesn't mean that those things are bad. It does mean that the way that I trust in God's word changes. If you're struggling to read God's word on a day-to-day basis, I want to encourage you that you start praying to God would give you the strength to read it. It starts with abiding in Christ. And as you abide in his word, I want to encourage you to stop for a minute to put the program down that you have if it's something that's there and to say, listen, today, today's a day where I'm going to actually sit and I'm going to meditate on his word, not simply read it. The reason that we're able to go confidently before the Lord is because when we understand his word, when we walk in his word, we can then begin, God begins to sanctify us. Verse 3 says that we have been cleaned by his word. He actually uses his word to change our hearts through the power of the Spirit. In addition, it says here that he will answer prayer. Now, that's not saying that you're going out and you're saying, hey, listen, I'm asking for that Ferrari down the road. God's got to give it to me now. What he's saying is that when we are enmeshed in God's word, when we are abiding in him, the things that we ask for will be in alignment with him. No longer will we care about the things of the world, but we'll care about the things of God. Now, this abiding in his word is important. Because it also means that there is a constancy and a consistency to it. It means that when we in our eyes go, well, I've already tried that. I've prayed to God for a while about that, and he hasn't changed my heart. It's just the way I am. Guess what? If you're asking for something that God has promised or that God has said that he desires for his people, if you're asking for God to do something in your life, it's an issue of abiding in him. It's an issue of faithfully staying, of faithfully remaining in him. We don't get the freedom to say, well, I did it for two weeks, and God didn't change me, so you must not want it. No. He says, abide in me. Learn to find your dependence upon me, whatever it is in you, that you feel like that I've done enough of this and God hasn't done it the way I want to and God hasn't done it in the timing I want to. Guess what? God's calling you to abide. Because here's the thing. When we ask for the things in the heart of God, we can trust that God will grant it. God will give us the strength to carry it out. When we pray for purity in our lives, God will grant it. It may not be perfect, but he will grant it. And he will grow us in it. When God works in our life and he wants righteousness and we pray for that, guess what? That's in alignment with his word. He's going to grant it. When God wants me to love my wife sacrificially and to know how to do that, he's going to do that. He's going to show it. And when God wants me to submit to my husband, God's going to show me how to do it. And God's going to sustain me in it. 
I don't get the freedom with God to say, guess what, God doesn't want it. If God has laid it out in his word for his people, he will bring it about as we abide in him. It's going to him constantly. It means resting in his word, staying in his word. Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3, and I want to encourage you to write this passage down. It's the very first psalm, the very beginning of the psalm, and I love it because it speaks directly to this. It says this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seats of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Abiding. Abiding in God's word leads to answered prayer. The fruit of abiding in God's word, the fruit of abiding in him, will lead to answered prayer. If we're not experiencing answered prayer in our life, we're not abiding in him. That's a harsh reality. If we're not experiencing answered prayer in our life, now that prayer is what? According to his word. It's not according to my will. Big difference. The answered prayer is in accordance with God's word, and if we are not experiencing that, we are not abiding. See, the answered prayer is a prayer life that provides concrete answers it means that you may pray for someone's salvation for years because God has called and said that he desires his gospel to go forth and that none should perish. The truth is, we need to respond to the Lord and respond to his word and abide in his word. How many of us are honestly abiding in his word? How many of us see his word as something to simply do and to complete for the day and be done? And still others, how many of us see his word as something that's nice, that's good, that we hear on Sundays, that we may get to occasionally during the week, but is not providing living power in our life? The second way that we abide in Christ is through loving obedience. Loving obedience. The first way is by faithfully reading and meditating on a scripture. The second is by loving obedience. It says in verse 9 through 10, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. Now the beauty of this passage is Jesus is using his Father's love for him as the model of his love for us. The picture of Christ being affirmed by the Father is the picture that Christ is revealing to us that he has towards us, affirming us in him. In Matthew 14, 30 through 31, just right before this passage, this is Jesus. He says, I will no longer talk much with you. He's speaking about his ascension when he'll go into heaven and the Holy Spirit comes 
the Holy Spirit that was given to all those who repent and believe on Christ. It says, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, speaking of the enemy, Satan, but I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. The way that we demonstrate love towards Christ is by being obedient to him. Abiding in his love is by responding with obedience. You see, what God desires from us is a life of obedience before him. We can't abide in Christ and we can't abide in his love if we look at his word and says, ah, that's not for me. God never said that we had to like everything in scripture. But when we walk in obedience with him, what he tells us, what he shows us is it will go well for us. You see, we have a heavenly God, a God who is ruler of all the earth that has come down and shown man through Christ and his word his desire for man. Man in our flesh, because we're rebellious, loves to think that there are times that we are brighter and smarter and more adequate than God himself. That's what makes us actually want to think that if we do things, if we just live a good life, that we can inherit the kingdom of God. The truth is that it's through obedience to him that we demonstrate our love for him. You see, we serve a king, and we're in his kingdom. The truth is today, if you had any powerful figure of any head of nation that came and said, I'd love for you to be a part of my team. And you were to look and you were to listen and be a part of that inner circle and you were just doing your own thing, most people would look at you and say, man, I think that person hates that guy or that woman. I think that person hates the leader. See, when we walk in obedience to Christ, we actually declare our love for Christ and we abide in his love. We respond not because we have to, but because we get to. We respond because Jesus has loved us. He's demonstrated his mercy for us. And he says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. Jesus himself submitted to the Father and walked in obedience with him. We, too, walk in obedience with Christ. What's amazing is as we walk in obedience with Christ, we experience God's love. As we walk with him, we begin to see how God has sent his son to die for us. We begin to see that God actually has a purpose for our life when we didn't feel like there was anything left. We begin to experience joy, which is the fruit of abiding in God's love, abundant joy. 
Robin shared last week her own testimony of that, of saying, I, I, as I began to walk in obedience for the first time in my life, I experienced this abundant joy, this joy that overwhelmed all of the despondency, all of the despair. That's a living example of the joy that we experience when we walk in obedience with Christ. So often in our own hearts we go, yeah, but God, I, I think that your way seems too conservative. I, I think your way seems unrealistic. I, I kind of like my life and my pleasure better than your way because there's no way that you can bring me as much pleasure as I think I can bring to myself. What God's saying is, guess what? When you walk with me, when you walk in obedience, there will be abundant joy. See, obedience has to be from an understanding of who Jesus is, not a sense of duty. My grandfather used to carry a little thing down in his, his wallet. Grandfather was the most godly man I've met in my life. But it's a simple little saying. He said, peace and joy is not the absence of strife, but rather the presence of God. And it went with him in his wallet, reminding him that peace and joy is not the absence of strife, but rather the presence of God. When we walk in obedience with God, we're experiencing his presence. We can't abide in Christ if we're walking in disobedience. It doesn't happen. We can't bear fruit. Our hearts will not be changed if we're, we're not walking in obedience. And the third way that we bear fruit is through sacrificial service and submission to his will. And sacrificial service and submission to his will in verses 13 through 16, it says this, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you, do, if, you, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know his master, what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. What did he say here? He no longer calls us servants, but he calls us friends. He put us in relationship with him as his friends, because he laid down his life for us. And now, he's saying, I want you to lay down your life for me. Sacrificial service and submission to his will means this. It means that I'm willing to go where God wants me to go, do what God wants me to do, even when it costs God may call you to live in Sonoma County because people in Sonoma County need the gospel. That may mean for the next 25 years of your life or forever, you may not own a home and you may not able to be able to live a life of luxury. But sacrificial service unto Christ could be that. Sacrificial unto Christ could also be that God has called you to serve 
in a mission field in a foreign land. Sacrificial service unto Christ could mean that when you're tired and you've had a busy day, that someone within the body of Christ has called and has a need and you go and you meet that need. It could be that you go and that meet that need within the body of Christ. It's a willingness to submit to his will even when it's uncomfortable and personally undesirable. I can share with you guys from my own experience that there have been different times when God has called and said, listen, I want you to go. As many of those who are foothills knew, that was one of the things I shared, that when God called us to foothills, I was quite content where I was. Having less pay, coming to a community that we didn't live in, all kinds of things were personally or seemingly undesirable. You know what happened? When I submitted to God's will, I'd rather be nowhere else than here. Because this is where God is working and working in me and letting me trust in that. Trust in him. When God calls us, when he calls us to serve him sacrificially, to be where he wants us to be, there is no better place to be. It may not seem like it in the moment. But when God calls, we go. I think it's easy for us as followers of Christ to be in his word, to even be obedient to him, but when it comes to submitting to his will, we struggle. And we thwart the plan of God. We actually hinder God's work in our own life as we press against his will. And as a result, we live restless lives, never content, never satisfied. James 4.4 4 says this, and it speaks of this issue of being a friend of God. Because we are friends, we are saying that we adopt his purpose, his will. In James 4.4 4 it says this, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? We're going to be at odds when we worship the things of the world greater than the things of the Lord. We're going to be at odds with God when we desire the things of the world more than we desire the will of God. If you don't see sacrificial service in your life, you may not be abiding in Christ. That's the truth that he's laid out here. Serving the Lord will cost but his promise is great. His promise in this is that he will teach you to love one another and the fruit of serving sacrificially will cause you to love one another. Why? Because when we're not serving sacrificially, we're only focused on what is best for me. And the only way to serve Christ is by trusting in him and letting him change our life. And so when we go into situations where we're sacrificing of self, God is actually the one that we're turning to for dependence and he is continuing to grow in us and he is growing our love for others as a result of it. 
I've often shared that Elisa is one of Elisa's sacrificial service and submission to God's will. Is to often let me do the things that God's called me to do. As my wife, there are things that she cares for our families on days when I'm not available or able to. On Sunday morning, she comes to church by herself. For the last 18 years, that's a service that's sacrificial. You see, as we serve Christ sacrificially, we will grow in our love for one another. 1 Peter 2, 11 through 17 says this, and I want to finish with this, but I think it's a fitting verse, and he says this, he says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject to the Lord's sake for every human institution, whether it's the emperor's supreme or the governor's is sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to the silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. What has God called us to do? He's called us to abide in him. And the only way to abide in him, the only way, is to rest and depend on him completely. It's a vine, Jesus is a vine that we must go to constantly to gain nourishment, strength, fruit. It is his sufficiency and his work that grows us as we remain in connection with him, as we remain in communion with him, as we stay, as we dwell. And so may we be a people who abide. And so this morning I would ask that this week we take time to honestly say, am I abiding in Christ? Am I faithfully allowing his word into my life? Am I meditating on his truths and are the truths at the front of my life? Am I walking in loving obedience and am I serving sacrificially? In those areas that God convicts in our hearts, may we let God work on those areas. May we confess them, may we repent of them, and may we go to him. May we constantly go to him and endure. May there be a continuousness, a constancy, and a persistence in our abiding. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thanks for the power of your word. Thanks for loving us well enough to see it, to show it to us. Father, I pray that as followers of Christ, we might abide in you. Father, I pray that the fruit that is born from you might cause us to depend even greater upon you. May we see your pruning as a good thing. In those days when you're cutting away things that don't belong, that's not an aspect of abiding, I pray that you would 
reveal that to us, that we might repent of it. And Father, if there are those of us here today that are wrestling with the whole concept of what it means to to have Christ, what it means to abide in Christ, may you show, may you show yourself to them. May you show them to themselves the, the fact that we are sinners in need of your grace. And we praise you and thank you that it's not given by our works, but it is given by faith.